Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Queen's Gambit Season 1, Damask Leary. The last time we did this, we did this in person. Mm. Uh, We're doing this via Zoom again because this idiot today woke up with a sore throat. And so due to Victorian, uh, not legislation, but Victorian requirements, I had to go get a COVID test and I can't see you in person today. So we're doing this via Zoom. How are you going? I mean, it's nice to see your face in a tiny square again. I almost missed it. Yeah. You're saying you'd rather have physical distance between us again. I mean, I didn't want to say it explicitly, but absolutely. I feel more comfortable knowing that you are at a distance. I'm not in the same room as you. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it's it's terrible. I forgot how annoying it is. um, Isn't it? And I hate you for it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And at last minute too, like just a really complicate things. All good, um, all good. Yeah, how are you? I'm good. Uh, sad news on my family front. My poor, beautiful cat, Mao, passed away mm. yesterday. She had a good long run, um, but yeah, it was it was time. She was very ill. It's time to say goodbye. So, R.I.P. Mao, a.k.a. Millie. Are you going to do some sort of ceremony or something? Something to like celebrate her life or? Um. No, I'm not. I've seen enough pet funerals on Real Housewives to know that uh, they're almost sadder than the death themselves. Okay. So, <laughs> I thought no. that would have inspired you, if anything. No, I just went, I was going through all, like, all my photos of us and her yesterday, and that was, that was nice enough, yeah. Okay, that sounds nice. Um, well, thank you for doing this. I know that can't be easy timing. Um, it's a nice we'll distraction. Well, okay, good way to think about it. And because my throat is razor blades at the moment, we'll try and keep this relatively quick anyway. So, Mm -hmm. let's get straight to it. Our spoiler-free review of The Queen's Gambit Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Queen's Gambit is a 2020 American, though you may be forgiven for thinking it's British with its casting, coming-of-age period drama streaming television miniseries based on Walter Tevis's 1983 novel of the same name. It was created, written, and directed by Scott Frank, writer of films such as Minority Report, Marley and Me, and Logan, and co-created with former Scotch whiskey executive Alan Scott. There you go. The show follows Beth Harmon, an orphaned chess prodigy, and the personal struggles of her rise to become the world's greatest chess player. The Queen's Gambit was released on Netflix on October 23, 2020, and stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Bill Camp, Moses Ingram, Marielle Heller, Harry Melling, Jacob Fortune Lloyd, Thomas Brody Sangster, and Marcin Dorothy. Sinsky as Soviet Russian world champion Vasily Borogov. The first and presumably only season consists of seven episodes, each coming in at around 56 minutes and took us approximately six hours and 30 minutes to watch. Four weeks after The Queen's Gambit premiered on Netflix, it became the streaming service's most watched scripted miniseries ever, reportedly watched in over 62 million households. So Damas, before we get to our review, I just wanted to ask you, how familiar are you with the game of chess? I used to play it as a kid, my dad and my brothers. Um, I I never realized or could really understand how much thinking had to go into it. So I was just like, all right, my move now. All right, my move now. So like I was never, there was not, not a whole lot of strategy going on at age seven. You know what I mean? But that's about you it. You weren't seeing pieces on the roof, on the <laughs> ceiling, and then sort of planning your moves accordingly. 
No, not at all. I was uh, more thinking about playing Aladdin in my treehouse in the backyard when I was staring <laughs> at my ceiling as a kid, but that's about it. Yeah. You weren't a chess prodigy in the making. No. Yeah, I guess no, I'm no, kind no. of similar. It's been one of those games that like I'm aware of. I know like the basic rules and how to play it. Mm. I've dabbled in it here and there when mostly drunk at people's houses. Like, oh, there's a chessboard. Let's play chess, I guess. Actually, a couple wow, times you've at had bars. some truly terribly boring drunk evenings, bro. Right? <laughs> Let's we're wasted. Let's play chess. Do you know there was a, there was a house we used to go to in Bendigo back in the day when we were sort mm-hmm. of in high school, um, where it was this giant house that a few of our friends lived in, including some of our older friends. There was one oh, yeah. room that was like a sitting room with a uh, a fireplace, Piano. and there was a chess set. I remember playing chess there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, out of bars and stuff. It's one of those, like, oh, let's play chess because it's here. Mm. Fun time. I've never taken it seriously. I'd like I to mean, think I would be good at I it. When I think of that house, so. I think more about, you know, all the sad people in their late 20s, early 30s that were hanging out with 17-year-olds. I think about that stuff. Not so much the chess that we were playing. Yeah, it's weird to think those people were our age now. And you're like, what were you doing hanging out with 16-year-olds? That was yeah, weird. I would say it with a more firm tone. But, yeah, what were they doing? <laughs> That's way off topic, though. <laughs> Let's get back to the world of the Queen's Gambit. Damask, would you like to give your spoiler for review or would you like me to go first? I'll, I'll give mine. I'll give mine. Okay. I'm scared to, but yeah. You're scared to. All right. <laughs> when you're ready. Okay. Here we go. Strap in, everyone. <laughs> Strap in. Yeah. If you're after a joyless, slow-moving show about an insufferable asshole who's good at chess, then this is the show for you. I, however, am not after that. I wanted to like this show, particularly since so many people had told me that I would love it. But what is there to like? It looks nice. The fashion is gorgeous. Beyond that, though, I am left blank. There are countless sweeping shots of hotel foyers, chess-playing montages, drinking and drug-taking, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And in between chess montages, you will watch people have conversations about chess. But even then, you can probably ignore two-thirds of the dialogue and still get it. There wasn't a whole lot that had me wanting to come back for more because everything I described is fucking boring. There isn't an interesting character to be found, save one, and they're only in half the episodes. Our main character is a poor orphan who experiences one tragedy after another. It's sadness porn that wants you to think it has more depth than it does. Do these tragedies inform character? Yes, initially, but Beth is the same person throughout, just more insufferable the more success she has, and as youth leaves her behind, her inability to evolve left me tired and annoyed. I kept hoping that at some point, through her trials and tribulations, she was going to become a person, a real-life person. She didn't. She is the surly genius we have seen before, except now they have boobs. She meets people along the way, but 99% of them are insufferable jerks too. I feel like Odysseus, except every obstacle on my way to the finish line is the same one. I'm in purgatory. Please help me. This show takes itself very seriously, and perhaps the book can justify this with interesting internal dialogue from the protagonist, but instead, on TV, we get a boring woman who looks either bored or angry in every scene, who treats people badly or is herself treated badly. That's it. That's the show. I hated it. Can you tell? The end. Very nice. All right. Slightly different take on this one. Mm -hmm. I like sports films. I like redheads. The Queen's Gambit is more or less rocky with a babe and ranger. Five stars. <laughs> How did I see that coming? <laughs> All jokes aside, this does kind of sum up my overall, the overall appeal of The Queen's Gambit, I think. It really is a sports film. A six and a half hour sports film chopped into seven chunks for easy digestion, but has everything you expect from a Mighty Ducks or Karate Kid movie. Down that protagonist you want to root for, although apparently you didn't, check. Heaps of talent slash enthusiasm, but a lot to overcome, check. A big imposing rival, check. Friends to make along the way, check. It's all there. Chess is a clever disguise, but this is Rookie of the Year with nerdy glasses on. As for the redhead part of its peel, that's kind of true as well. The Queen's Gambit is stuck like glue to Beth Harmon. There is hardly a scene, nor even a shot, that doesn't feature Beth. And since the sports 
the sports film isn't about a team of lovable misfits. Everything rests on the shoulders of the one lead performer. Anya Taylor-Joy absolutely brings it, I think. She's utterly, utterly mesmerizing as Beth, believably playing the character through multiple ages and stages of her life, but most importantly, is just utterly captivating in every second on the screen. There is something about her, her look, how she holds herself. Maybe it really is just the red hair. I don't know. But mark my words, this is Anya Taylor-Joy's star-making moment. Everything around Beth's underdog chess story is support. The script is just quirky and witty enough without being goofy or quick, quippy. The story is just familiar enough with just the right amount of unique elements to make it safe while being engaging enough. It's also just a little bit sexy while remaining relatively wholesome throughout. This fine balance of script, story, energy, and performance is then supported by slick production values, gorgeous cinematography, whimsical setting and style, fun, colourful costumes, and a score that packs a punch when it needs to. If Lovecraft Country Season 1's lesson, this is the show we reviewed last week, was that all the ambition and imagination in the world only means so much without structure and cohesion, The Queen's Gambit's lesson is that the most tired, tried-and-true story can still be just as fulfilling with a strong, unified vision and expert follow-through. Is The Queen's Gambit perfect? No. Is it groundbreaking? Nope. Is it well-realized, if somewhat familiar, but undeniably complete vision? Absolutely. And more often than not, that is enough for me. So what's your score out of five stars, Damask? I get the feeling I know. At least what end of the spectrum it's going to be. It's two. Two stars. Yeah. I'm going to give it four. It can't be masterful because it isn't doing enough it's to be it's like. Not. <laughs> but I'm going to give it four stars because I think it is is excellently made. Like production wise, start to finish, is a complete whole thing that I was enjoying. I also want to point out there how I watched it as well. How did mm. how did you go about watching it? Did you watch it all at once in quick succession? Was this something you came at bite size? How did you go about it? No, I watched the first I think two episodes back to back, and then. I think I watched the third one by itself and then I was like, oh, God, I put it down because I was like, this is boring as shit. Sure. Um, and then I watched the the final, what, four? Uh, no, three altogether and then the final one. Yeah. Okay. Steph and I were watching this night by night basically over the course of mm. about a week. So one episode a night, cool. Let's not watch any more. Don't need to, to try and binge this or have it all now. We'll save that next episode for next time. And like that was really well passed out. So over the course of a week, we just sort of got the full story, um, enjoyed the experience in that regard. And I think that was a perfect way to do it. Come home, sit down with a meal and a drink, watch an episode, cool. Mm-hmm. Move on to something else or go to bed basically and come back tomorrow. And that, it really worked well in that regard, I thought. Um, but I do stand by that this is basically a movie. It may have even been better as like a two-hour film. Um, that it did, if it didn't need to be stretched out so much. No way. I don't know if you would have found it more fulfilling. Yeah, there was no? so little there. Like half the conversations you could literally mute and you'd still get the same story. And so much of your <laughs> spoiler-free review is talking about just staring at the lead actress. Like, it's yeah, true, I, though. Yeah, it is, is true. Absolutely. But it's part of the experience. And like, it makes it a boring story, though. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It makes it a really boring story. And she herself, like the character isn't interesting. She looks good, but yes. fuck, she's not interesting at all. No, well, mm, that's something we're going to talk about in the spoiler, sorry, in the spoiler talk in the deep dive discussion. Because I think there is multiple layers mm-hmm. to the character, whether or not, and there's a lot going on there, I think, whether or not the story does a lot to dramatize that well, I think is a good question. I think if you look at it, there's like, definitely mm-hmm. things to that it touches on whether it dramatizes it well that's a different question i think i, I would agree with you if you thought that wasn't the case yeah i mean she certainly experiences plenty of tragedy and addiction but beyond that there's not a whole lot there there's more than that there there is more than that but Mm-mm. the no there's really not i <laughs> but i do think as a like as a sports film as that like underdog story Someone with ult- ultimately has a lot of talent and then works their way through that and how they get to their ultimate victory. Like, that has a particular appeal to me. Creed, mm. which is like the sixth or seventh sequel to Rocky or whatever it is, and is basically a remake of the original Rocky, is possibly my top 10 films of all time. It is something about that story that really resonates with me. I think it's a very, like, a human triumph story. Um, 
And it does mm. enough of that that, yeah, it's nothing, not doing anything new there, but with a character or with yeah. a performance I, think, I, mean, I, I love, find charismatic enough, it got yeah. me through it. I love a sports film and I love an underdog. I think that the essence of those for me, though, is like they really have to be someone to root for. And I, I guess mm-hmm. what was missing for me, you know, is just I just didn't root for her. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to ask everyone who enjoys the podcast to please review us on Apple Podcasts. Nothing helps the show to grow more than by throwing five stars and maybe a couple of nice words our way. And to sweeten the deal, if we reach 25 written reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will finally review Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1. We'd also love you to share hunting seeds with friends and family that you think might also enjoy listening. Next week, we'll be back with our review of The Crown Season 4. If you'd like to contribute to our discussion of The Crown, or if you have thoughts on The Queen's Gambit, you can write to us or send an audio recording that we may include on a future episode to contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or find us on Twitter at Hunting S Cast. But right now, let's talk spoilers for The Queen's Gambit Season 1. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning! From here on, we will be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of The Queen's Gambit. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of The Queen's Gambit. I mean, I don't. But anyway, if you have not done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Story time with Damask. Beth is orphaned when her mum commits suicide. She has a terrible time at the orphanage, except when she gets her daily dose of government-funded drugs. Lucky girl! Then she meets a surly janitor who teaches her chess. He realises she's really good. Woohoo! Then she gets adopted by a couple that despise each other. The dad is an asshole who bails immediately, but the mum is cool. She loves a drink and sitting in front of the TV to watch her stories. She's the best thing in this whole show. Even Beth knows it. Eventually, Beth enters a competition and she's very good. She meets nerdy mean boys who scoff at her, but they all eventually fall in love and want to bone her. Her new mum gets on board and is fully supportive now that her kid could help pay the mortgage, but they build a genuine relationship and I like it. Beth keeps playing chess, we watch 7,000 montages, sometimes she loses, but she mostly wins. There's some Russian guy that is the big bad floating around in the background, but we won't really see him until the end. Beth gets more famous, her new mum dies and it is sad. Beth is also sad, so she drinks even more. One of her old foes moves in, he plays chess with her a lot, but he's too lovely to hang around and hang out with her because she's an arsehole, so he leaves. Then she moves to New York to hang out with a jerk, it's a perfect match. Then this show tries to make me believe that a super nerdy asshole who wears a long leather coat is good in bed. I don't believe it, but these two losers deserve each other. They have a fight or something after Beth goes to Paris and loses. She's upset about it. Blah, blah, blah. She goes to Moscow and beats the Russian. The montage tries to tell me it's exciting. It isn't. And that's it. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Fair to say that was slightly editorialized. That version <laughs> of the, uh, the story. Definitely I, got your I lean on it. I think it was verbatim. Verbatim, <laughs> baby. That was the treatment. That's how it was presented yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in the original pitch. Um, well, let's do it. For the sake of keeping you, you know, talking about the things you liked about the show, let's talk about mm-hmm. the the mum character or the adoptive mum character mm. um, who you obviously found the most interesting. Tell me why Definitely. she was the most compelling character for you. 
Well, at first I liked the tension or the fear around um, this poor girl who is isolated and brought into this very kind of tumultuous relationship that ends very quickly. And then you have, you know, the threat of is the mum going to be that asshole that either denies her doing the things she loves? Is she going to take advantage of the money that's coming in? All that kind of stuff. And then to realise that they actually do develop a nice relationship Mm -hmm. and that the mum not only is like tagging along and enjoying the trips and things like that, but they also like she's invested in the games. Like she wants to know how she does. She's like trying to learn a bit more. She's like a pretty active uh, parental figure in her life. And I just, I, I liked the softness that you could see in certain very few moments with Beth and her. Um, I, she wasn't overly tragic, like the mum I'm speaking about. She had experienced tragedy, obviously, but there was quite a bit of joy to her and I found her one of the only joyful parts of it. Yeah, I think there's, um, there's a lot to explore there and how they approach that to begin with. It almost seems like it's going to be exploitative in nature to begin yes. with, the relationship as she realises that Beth is this chess prodigy and is like, oh, we can make some money doing this. Mm. But ultimately, that seems to turn into a pretty um, good partnership that they've got there. They're helping each other in different ways. Beth understands her value of being able to allow her to do these things. Meanwhile, yeah, the the mum gets to experience this lifestyle that she gets to enjoy. They Mm. genuinely seem to like each other, um, which is good. They can be a little bit of enabling of their worst habits, which is an interesting part of it as well. But yeah, it does seem like this is the first person possibly ever um, outside of her birth mother that Beth has really got any sort of attachment to. And I think Mm. that's mostly the role of this, apart from this is another tragic parental figure that goes and dies on her. Um, And through these problems, through this situation that's happened now twice to her, she's had to become fiercely independent, um, which is very, very informing of Beth, I think, in Mm. what her overall struggle is. Because um, if we move on to Beth for a second, and you're saying there's not a whole lot there, mm-hmm. while again I I would say it's fair to say it's not dramatized. Well, I think there is plenty to her. Um, I think a couple of a quote and something I wrote down sort of sums up a lot of it. And I want what well, your thoughts on this and sort of the different elements of the character because really the story is about her. Um, it is so centered on her. It's very rarely about other characters. They just come into her life, play a role at serving her next sort of challenge or um, growth moment, and then they move back um, into the background again. So one of the, the lines is, two sides of the same coin. You've got your gift and you've got your cost. I believe it's the janitor that says this to her initially, mm. um, which is a big theme of this, the idea that along with... Beth's talent, undeniably she has incredible ability. That's never a question in the show. She has a cost for having that ability, which could be a number of things. The most obvious one is that she seems to be reliant, if not addicted to tranquilizers and is an alcoholic, at least at Mm. different points, or is relying on alcohol a lot. Did any of that really resonate with you and the character in the story? No. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I think like you say, like, in theory, I think that sounds somewhat interesting. Mm-hmm. The way that she's depicted on screen is like she's she feels like some kind of fantasy. Like she's not this manic pixie dream girl, but she's like this depressed elf dream girl. Like she's she's not real. And they think like tragedy. Manic depressive to, tr- pixie dream girl is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, like just depressed elf person. Like she's <laughs> sure. she's she's experienced all this tragedy. That doesn't make her seem real, the fact that sh- you show me that she's really sad and, like, dances sure. in her underwear while drinking. Like, she's she never becomes a person and therefore is not engaging to watch. So, you can put all these struggles on top of her, but mm-hmm. I there wasn't a whole lot of foundation for me. Now, that, that I agree with you. The, the weakest part of the entire show is the end of Act 2, right? Mm. Where she's had her second loss, I think, to Borgov. I think mm. it's the name of the character, the Russian guy. And she ends up just going back home and completely writing herself off. And like the image of her just sort of in her underwear, you know, not passed down the couch, but sort of, you know, laid back on the couch. And it's like, it is that gross sort of like, it's almost fetishistic at that point. And it's not really illustrating. 
any real struggle there. It was more interesting to me when it wasn't so obvious. It was more interesting to me when the reliance was more secret, when mm-hmm. unless you were paying attention, you might not even notice it was there. So some people started to notice the Harry character when he came to live with her for a bit and sort of teach her how to get good enough to beat um, the Russians. Mm-hmm. He starts to notice these problems with her and notices um, the that ultimately it's not her ability that's the problem. She's got to get past her own issues to become the champion. That moment, yeah, where she falls into a heap and it's just getting drunk at home is so cliche and so shallow in its depiction of what that is that it's my least favorite episode of the entire series because mm. it just doesn't do the work to make that anything as, as good as it should be. If you want that moment to work, if you want the ending to work as well as it should, because I do really like the last episode, you've got to hit that bit on the nail on the head. And mm-hmm. it's a absolute cliche to the point of being completely ineffective, I thought. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I just throughout maybe not the first three episodes necessarily, but certainly in the middle and the end, it just became more and more apparent to me that that it was written by a man. Like it was just, you know, even moments, one, because there's just no depth to her at all, but also we've got lines like from the French woman or we've got depictions of the girl she knew in high school and stuff. And it's just all just screaming like, oh, she's not like other girls. Like Mm -hmm. no, not only is she a chess prodigy, but she's not like other girls at all. Like, you know, apparently every woman – coming from a French woman, every woman in France has no talent and models are as beautiful as Beth but are totally devoid of any kind of depth. Like it was just so obvious that she was so beautiful and so special and so talented that she was Mm -hmm. unlike any other woman in the world and therefore like above any kind of issue or understanding that a woman might have of the world. So is is this almost... Because it's, again, not written by a woman. Mm. Um, is this also almost a Mary... Now, I, I don't want to use this inappropriately either because this gets thrown around incorrectly, this term. Mm. But is this a problem where the character is... The thing is, she's not flawed. She's not not without flaws, right? But she's inherently mm. just has uh, innate ability and everyone looks at her and goes, you're the most special person ever, right? Mm. That's edging on a Mary Sue type problem, right? Where... The character is not three-dimensional enough. They just happen to exist, be great at it, and everyone tells them how good they are at this. It's a... Um, fantasy is a good word for it. It's like... Um, what would you call that? There's another term for it. But, yeah, it's... it's For that, yeah. for you, is just the biggest problem. It just lacks the drama because that person is not... Yeah, I everybody think, Everybody just spawns over them. Yeah, it is unfortunate that <laughs> the term... Like, I'm, I don't like to use it either. In fact, I don't think I've ever used it on the show because it's been so overtaken by douchebags that don't like female characters who are good yes. at shit. But yep. for me, yeah, that was my issue and I think people can make an argument against that. But, yeah, I think that's absolutely what it was. It's, yes, she is good at everything and everyone tells her she's so good. I, you know, I always felt like there wasn't a huge amount of tension around whether she was going to win or lose. Cause like most times she was going to win and then she's going to have a tanty or whatever drinking tantrum and then come back and win again. Um, but she was so good, but without, yeah, without the depth, without the real genuine human um, cost of that. I know I was told a lot about a cost, um, but beyond, yeah, I don't know. I just didn't feel any of it. Well, I think the thing the show was trying to suggest that the cost or the potential cost was that she was going to have a similar fate to her biological mother, who seemed mm-hmm. to have been a very talented person. Uh, I believe she had a PhD of some sort. Mm. And sort of her life seems to have crumbled around her one way or another. Alcohol may have been a problem for her as well from memory. I can't remember exactly whether that was the case or not, but I think that was possibly something going on there as well. She was living in a trailer park. She didn't have a good relationship with the father of her daughter and ultimately she kills herself to try and give her daughter a better life, quote unquote. And it's like the problem that Beth seems to have along the way is developing meaningful relationships and keeping them. Um, The ultimate sort of, there are two resolutions to her problems at the end of this, right? The final battle with Borgoff, they end, they have to go to like a, a, 
uh, what would you call it? Like they stop for the night and she's in this position where she's like, what do I do now? And she finally gets, you know, I can use my friends I've made along the way to help me to figure this out. So they work as a team, which is what the Russians do apparently. That's why Borgov's so good, right? And so she uses her like brains trust to help get her in the right winning position. And that gets her so far, but then she still has to overcome her own individual downfall, which is that she's reliant on tranquilizers to somehow get her into the mental headspace to use her special chess powers. Mm. And I think mindful meditation is ultimately what saves her. Like she's able to just yeah. like in think the last hard enough 15 that she minutes, <laughs> she f- discovers the power of friendship and is able to kick a lifelong addiction. It's truly yes. incredible stuff. What a strong <laughs> 15 minutes that was. Uh, from a cinematography like point of view, from a production value point of view, the music and the, the set piece and the lighting and all that's of the that. That's the thing. I can't fault that stuff. All of that. Like all of yeah. that stuff, I can't fault. That's really where the two is coming from. Is like the beautiful mm. costumes, the set. Um, and yeah, it, it looked beautiful. Uh, and the music was great as well. It's just the substance of the thing wasn't there. The funny thing is, I could you could make the same argument for a bunch of like other sports films. I think you mm-hmm. could make that argue that this happens in Creed. There is this incredible moment that hits me like a gut punch every time when Rocky is talking to Apollo about like why he's fighting and it's like he doesn't I don't want to spoil it in fact, but it's an incredible line that you that is all about discovering like what drives this person and and the power of his family and like all that sort of stuff, right? That whole film is about that. And this I kind of does it. It's a little bit surface level compared to what Creed does. Creed is like master, yeah. masterpiece I work. I think but- that's why I prefer these types of stories with a bit of humour to them because ultimately mm. like it is quite ridiculous. So, you know, give me like a Mighty Ducks or like a Cool Runnings or any of that stuff. Like sure. I'll, I'll enjoy that. There was... It just, I was unable to let go of some of the absurdities because the show itself was taking itself really, really seriously. The mm-hmm. character, I don't even know his name, but fucking cowboy guy was so hilarious. Benny, I think. The, ki- the guy that's played by the kid from Love Actually. Yes. Yes. I thought he was going to be a joke character mocking all the guys who think that they look like that or do indeed look like that because no one should want to look like that. That leather jacket, the knife on his hip pocket. But then they actually were like trying to convince me that he was in any way cool or alluring or someone you would want to spend any time with. And I just, I thought it was laughable and I just couldn't take it seriously. I had a similar note. I said it's almost like he was miscast as Benny because of the ill-fitting costume. But I kind of also think that was the point. Only in the world of chess or something like this could a star of the game look like he does. I think that is just true. It's like these are these are enigmatic, you know, odd people a lot of the time. And that is living in a very niche celebrity sort of world although in this show but chess there's is no, like but there's no sense chess. of humor there on part of the audience all yeah, signifiers see, tell you that he is meant to be cool that he is like you know this person that you would want to go to new york with and spend time with and that he has so much to teach her and that he's really good in bed and all of this stuff yeah the bedding the bed part the relationship part is weird i disagree a little bit i think I think he is cool inside the world of chess. I think the show is also doing a good job or a good enough job of making you realize that he's still extremely odd. And like, if you look at it, really, he is not cool at all. Like the way he sits there with his ill-fitting leather jacket and his stupid hat and his knife. Like there's a line oh where it's God. like, why have you got a knife? He's such a loser. Like, he is. He is a massive loser. But he's as much as a loser as he is in the rest of the world. He is a celebrity in the world of chess. And that makes sense it's where he's able to thrive it's where he does have a captive audience but he couldn't walk into just anywhere and have that appeal he can only have that appeal inside that niche world um 
I agree with you, though. Whether or not that makes a big impact on, or his character is particularly meaningful in Beth's life, this is all. This is ultimately the biggest problem. It's like these people mm. come in. Harry comes in and has his moment where he's staying with Beth. Benny mm. comes in and has his moment where he's helping Beth. You know, she's having these realizations along the way, but she keeps discarding them. And uh, um, yeah, they don't they don't stick around long enough. They're not no. really a team. They sort of have that moment at the end. We're like, we're here to help. You know, but it's it's not. Yeah, I'm sure glad Harry was able to afford and book like a overnight ticket to New York so they could all be in a room together. Like it was, I just, I you know, if it was about her build, learning to build relationships and therefore like reaping the benefits of that, mm. I probably would have loved it. I probably would have loved it. If there was one character that I thought was even slightly amusing or able to comment on the absurdity of the world, I probably would have loved it. But it was sure. so devoid for me of joy, of self-awareness, of anything that I could – or a character that I could love or fall in love with um, or yeah. root for. There was, there was simply none of that. You were connecting with no one. Did the Jolene character help at all? Her friend from the orphanage that shows up at the end of episode six and then is with her at the start of episode six. Episode Sorry, seven, no. I thought her name was Bookend. No. I, <laughs> how? I wish. I wish I could have had an opportunity to do that. But no, I don't need this magic person to appear to be like, oh, you do have a family, even though we haven't seen each other since we were like 13. And also I have $3,000 money. I've been saving my entire life so I can go to college. I'll give it to you. Very privileged white woman who's given all her fucking money away. Absurd and stupid. And I hated it. No, I didn't the, connect the, with the that janitor, character. At least like the, the, her surrogate father. Well, I really enjoyed that first episode. I was like, oh, okay, this could be something. Uh, And yeah, I was like, like yeah, I was rooting for her at that point because she was such an underdog. It was after like five hours of her being an asshole and the same thing happening over and over again. And I was like, I'm over this. Yeah. Did you... Did you find the depiction of the chess at least somewhat engaging or enjoyable? Like one of those things that's very hard. Initially it's very easy I to- did, yeah. Initially I was like, yeah. oh, this is really cool. And this they have made chess really exciting. That's mm. amazing. But like I said, just diminishing returns like a lot of the things on this show. Like you said sure. earlier, it could have and perhaps should have been a film. Or a three-part series or something like that, yeah. I realise I never got to the second quote the other thing i thought defined beth as a character and i just want to say quickly before we move on Mm. there was the quote i said about the two sides of the same coin the other thing i think i I did find interesting about the character and what her ultimate problem was is that she knows how to be in control she doesn't know how to take it take control that makes sense but she's good at being in control so when she's in a situation where she's thrust into a situation where she's Mm. has immediate control she always seems to um, do well. It's when she's in a situation where she is not immediately in, in control, she struggles to be able to take control. So that was mm-hmm. an interesting thing I thought throughout. It related back to her problems with alcohol and with medication. Um, it related to her relationships. It related to her chess. Everything always came down to in the right position, given enough space and control, she'll always win. The moment she has to come from behind, that's where she struggles. Um, I thought that was a defining part of the character. I don't think you found that particularly compelling though. Oh, could you read that on my face, could you? A little bit. <laughs> that I've absolutely checked out. I don't disagree with you, but yeah, no. Nah. It's an I interesting problem from the perspective of like a competitor or a sports person. Mm. And I don't know, I have a lot more I think in like sport than you do what as you well. were telling me <laughs> is more interesting than what I saw. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes? No. I've got a few. A couple of minor criticisms and thoughts just wanted to bring up. I struggled with the show at times to keep up with its time jumping. So Mm -hmm. it would go from her just leaving the orphanage to playing in a community chess tournament to then all of a sudden it was like two or three years later and it'd be hard to tell exactly how much time had passed. Mm. I, it was like sometimes it felt like this took place over the course of a year. I think it took place over more like the course of a decade or more. Um, yeah, I didn't always feel like it was doing a good enough job of showing me that. The title mm. would come up with a date, but the date didn't 
wasn't immediately like, oh, that's obviously three years later. It was like she's still, you know, got a similar haircut. She's still yeah, hanging out with her Yeah, they needed to do what every other show does and either add or remove fringes, different lengths of hair. I mean, that's the clear signifier for me is like, well, what I mean, level that of does fringe happen. Very does subtly, happen. though. and yeah, it, it is too subtle. It's like yeah. you can track her hair over the course of the entire series and it goes from being the dorkiest like orphan haircut all the mm-hmm. way up to this glamour queen of chess. Yeah. But it is too subtle for me to necessarily realise. I want more drastic changes here and there to, to, to mm. signify that time change. Agreed. Could have happened with the mother as well and other characters around her, but they always looked the same. Just their locations were changing half the time. Um, I really, really liked the weird, intense energy of Russia in the last episode. Like, it felt like the final level of a video game when you're walking into the boss's lair. And, like, that's, but that's what they, that's what, you know, it's meant to be imposing and strange and, like, foreign in every sense of the word. Um, it becomes it didn't much more. feel any more claustrophobic to me than any other space, though. I mean, I think, like, that really? particular room they're in does feel like the Ministry of Magic. Yes. I'll give you yes. that much. Um, but the rest of it, I didn't feel that kind of. Oppressiveness. It didn't feel scary or foreign. It it felt quite the same to me. Oh, I completely disagree. Like it's such a big use of shadows and like really like brutalistic architecture and stuff like that. Apart from when you get beautiful shots of like the Kremlin. I don't know what the mm. the different sort of um, architecture from the outside. A lot of this show does seem to take place inside hotel rooms. And so you get a lot of that and hotel foyers mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you oh, so like many va- foyers. Oh. You compare the Vegas section with its dorky, like, 1960s, like... The giant dice. Tackiness. Yes, right. To what we're getting when we go to Russia. I think there is a distinct difference there. I did really enjoy, like, that. It did feel very imposing. I did enjoy seeing her star rise in Russia as well as people wanted autographs and signatures and stuff. And as she started to, like, succeed. You... It's not... It's not doing it for you. That's fine. Um, you mean those really amazing and like invigorating scenes of like watching three people stand outside wanting autographs and then te- like 10 people wanting an autograph. Did I miss something? Can you explain to me what happened? You know, there's a section, I think it was actually in Vegas with that little, the Russian boy. Then she was having the, like, she was struggling with that game with him and then they had to stop yeah. and she came back the next day and she started just like making a move and then walking away and then coming mm. back, making a move and walking somewhere else. What did you understand was going on there? I had a few different thoughts because I was like, hmm, that's interesting. At first I was like, is she showing him that she isn't either in- invested or threatened, like some kind of power play there? But then, but then she comes back and like says those really nice things to him. Yeah. So I, I figured it was just like a power move. For her. What, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I think one of the things I noticed about Beth as we went along is that she seemed to do better when she had an audience, right? Mm. So, like, the example of that was when she's doing speed chess against Benny the first time, she's getting absolutely wiped to the floor and her need to win, her obsession with winning meant that she kept making mistakes and losing to him. Mm-hmm. She then smashed him over and over again when she did it again when she had the French lady watching. It's like having that audience for some reason made her like but she was better at it. But when she does the speed chess with Benny, there is an audience. There, yeah, but it's not her. It's not they're not there for her. They're there for him. It's like oh, she needs someone. He's impressing right, them, not the other way around. And so this gotcha. time, the other way around, she was like getting talked up by the French lady. And she's like, I'm going to impress this girl. Boom, 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 boom. Um, the the thing with the the kid, I was thinking, it's almost like he was he wanted Beth's attention so much that when mm. she stopped giving it to him, then he started making mistakes. So it was sort of the reverse of her problem. Mm. That's the best I've got. It's okay. like I could not figure out that it was. She just kept making it so that she was not there to be his audience as he was mm. making his moves, and that threw him off, and so she was able to win that game. Yeah, even when he was playing, it wasn't actually about him anymore. Exactly. And that was always the problem with Beth, is Beth made mistakes when she forgot what the ultimate goal was or was more interested in winning than the than. Then making the other person lose, except like mm-hmm. things like this. It was it, yeah. different lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, okay, couple of final little thoughts. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy has these very wide apart eyes that are kind of mesmerizing. 
The guy that plays yeah. Harry, Dudley from um, Harry Potter, mm-hmm. his eyes are like way too close together. I just kept thinking it's like you mission together, you have a perfect human being. He's like... <laughs> Um, also, the name... Beautiful Rod. <laughs> thank you. I know. A name... Elizabeth Harmon. Mm-hmm. E. Harmon? Harmon E? Is that is that? Are they going for something there? Is that something? Or is that just... Am I reading too much I mean, I hope not. Otherwise, I hate this show more than I did before. <laughs> uh, least favourite and favourite episode. What was your least favourite episode, Damask? Uh, probably all of them. Aww. Um... My least favourite, maybe the one where she, probably the New York one, really, because I just found him so insufferable and them Mm -hmm. insufferable together. And then that French woman does a fucking monologue about how much she hates other women. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, I'm going to say episode six, which might be uh, the same episode, I think. But the problem for me was that the cliche... uh, sort of end of act two, she comes home, gets drunk, and it's like, is so run-of-the-mill, uninspired, does nothing mm-hmm. for the character. It's just hitting the notes of this person's in a dark place right now. And I was like, this is, this show can do these things so much better. It's a shame it can't make this moment work as well as they could. Because if it did, it would make everything better before and after, I think. So it was like a, a failure to to make the most of the end of its act two, mm. which is a real shame. Favourite episode? I mean, it's probably going to be the New Mexico one because there's lots of the mum. Um, sure. And I think what I just loved the sense of adventure it had to it. The twins were there. I enjoyed watching. I, whenever they popped up, I was like, oh, actual friends. That's quite her nice. Her little knights as well. Like if she's the queen, they were like her little like bishops or something like that that kept yeah. showing up. Yeah. Um, so I like that a lot. And then obviously the tragedy at the end of that episode when the mum dies. I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be the catalyst for at least a variation of who Beth had been previously. It it turned out just to be a doubling down, which was unfortunate. But at that moment, I thought, oh, okay, now we're into a new era. Something like this is really going to thrust her forward into like the – the second half's momentum, um, but we didn't get that. But I that that was my hope at the time. Gotcha. Uh, I think in my favorite episode to the final episode, Endgame, um, just because I really, really fall for those triumphant sports moments, and like mm-hmm. as I think as shallow as it all might be, that ending, the the music, the way it's realized visually, that iconic shot of her looking up at the ceiling and like those eyes, it just everything about it. The, the, where the show is at strongest is always its production values and mm-hmm. the way it was able to get the most out of uh, Anya Taylor-Joy's performance on camera and it just like hits those things out of the park. If you didn't like the work that got up there, of course, it's going to be less effective. Mm-hmm. But I was there enough that I was just like, cool, great Sports movie ending, I'm satisfied, we can move on now. I cool. liked what it built. Well, what, how that played out in the final 20, 30 minutes or so. Really, really liked that. And I, like I said, I really enjoyed just being in Russia for whatever reason. That final like video game level part to it was fun. Do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns? I'm guessing you would have no interest in a season two if there was one. There is no book Absolutely two as far not. as I'm aware. I'm There's not been apparently any more of this. Because it's been so popular on Netflix, there has been a call to try and make more episodes. You wonder whether if this was the origin story, they could do something more interesting with like, what's it like once she's at the top? And is it harder to stay up there? And what does that look like for her? Could you make a more compelling story from that character? My prediction would be there'd be just a shit ton more of like chess playing that looks the same. I like the chess playing. Talking about chess. Yeah, but how much of it do you need though? Yes, it looks cool. But do you need so much of it? It's yeah, it's too yeah. much. If you can make it compelling and fun enough, exciting enough. Well, they I didn't, Brod. Think, they didn't make it compelling nah, or fun for me. I was I was inspired by how they were able to keep having p- p- them playing chess and make it engaging and different to watch every time. Like the the way the montages were done, or the way how much they would concentrate on this certain game, or how much they would show us of the chessboard versus how much they're just showing of the players' reactions to it. Like. I was. It's impressive they could make something that is not easily, if you're not really, really into chess, obvious what's happening at any one moment on the board, 
still you, engaging. I was still You know what I'm realising? I'm talking that? to a man whose idea of fun is getting drunk and playing chess. Damn straight. At a party. That's who I'm Damn talking straight. to. And I'm realising that now. And now I understand why you can watch seven hours of people playing chess, doing <laughs> like, very similar things, going, this is still engaging. You right, could do this for... If you were good enough, right, at doing this production-wise, you could do the same thing for poker and, like, Casino Royale is my favourite Bond films and it has gigantic, like, whole hour-long sequences of basically that's just playing poker and I find that super engaging and fun because the mind games of it is there as well. You could make this about freaking Monopoly or Settlers of Catan if you wanted to. If you were good enough at it, you could make that engaging and that's what I think is pretty compelling about this is that it... I can't immediately always tell what's happening on the board, but there's enough going on in terms of the immediate struggle between the two opponents that they sold it to me. If they could keep doing I just it, think I'd the be there struggle for is the same though in everything. Like these like great kind of complex strategies and stuff. So often from both sides it was the same dynamic and it was just very dull. Sure. That's fair. Um apparently there's been a resurgence of chess. I was looking at uh, chess.com and there was a blog about how when COVID started back in sort of like February, March, there was mm. a spike in chess and everyone was chessing the chess. It was like, this is cool. Chess is having a resurgence. And then obviously the Queen's Gambit hit in like November, whatever it was, October. And it's just like spiked again. And they're talking about how they haven't seen this in like decades and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, that's exciting for the world of chess. I'm glad that people are interested in playing it again. I mean, yeah, My- I think chess is a fine game. There's nothing wrong with chess. I want it out there. I have nothing <laughs> against chess. Um, I just thought it was a shit TV show. I I don't think there needs to be a season two. Mm-mm. I I can see it happening though, and I definitely see potential for there to be more stories now the origin story is out of the way. Um, but I doubt it's going to happen. Mm. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers from Lucas Hile of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at Maskymoo, M A S K Y M O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss The Crown Season 4. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.